Have you heard of Bracken's painting? I started Bracken's painting back in 2011. We do both residential and commercial painting. We have contractors licenses in West Virginia and Virginia, and we carry all the necessary insurances, like workers' comp, general liability. Uh, we operate a small staff that focuses on meeting the homeowner's needs and project manager's timeline expectations. Uh, we, pri we try to have exceptional attention to detail. If you're interested in doing any sort of commercial or residential painting, please contact Bracken's Painting. More information can be found at www.brackenspainting.com. On this episode of the Break It Down for Bracken's podcast, we are talking to John King. John lives in Charlestown, and he is running for sheriff in Jefferson County. Let's hear what he has to say. John, thank you for being on the Break It Down for Bracken's podcast. Thank you, Kevin, for having me today. Let's start with um, your background. Tell me where you're from and a little bit about John King. Well, Kevin, I grew up in the city of Falls Church. It's a very small city, very similar to Charlestown. I knew the mayor, the chief of police, all the school teachers lived pretty much in the city. I loved the environment. Um, after graduating from high school, I went to college at the College of Charleston in South Carolina. Where did you go to high school in Falls Church? I went to George Mason High School. Nice. I went to O'Connell. Oh, right around the corner. I used to live on East Columbia Street. Nice. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yep. Like so, I said, I'll interrupt you. So oh, you gotta, that's you gotta... fine. <laughs> and uh, after uh, high school, I went to the College of Charleston, South Carolina, majored in business administration. Uh, after college, I came out and I did a little bit of work for the AFL-CIO um, in their accounting slash intern program for a little while. And a neighbor who was a parliamentarian of the Senate, asked me if I was interested in a law enforcement job. They were looking for people with that background, uh, with a college background, looking for people for, for doing police work. And I thought, well, I like people. I like being outside and doing things. And I thought, well, let's try it. And uh, What year was this? 1980. I started in January 27, 1986. Nice. Okay. I worked there, oh, 32 years. Okay. Long time. As a police officer? I was a police officer. I was a special agent bomb technician. I was a hazmat technician. I was a protective agent. And which, which, which county was this? This is in Washington, D.C. Okay. I worked for, I'm sorry, I worked for the U.S. Capitol Police. Gotcha. Which is a federal agency of about 1,800 gun carriers, plus a civilian a support group. Um, we do protection of con members of Congress throughout the United States. Uh, overseas with U.S. Senators. Um, part of my job was to travel with them and provide protection for the canine and for the bombs and bomb technicians. Wow, so your neighbor your neighbor knew that there was job openings and they were looking for people with degrees and he was like, hey, you should, if you like that kind of work, you should apply and that's how it worked out? Well, you didn't have to have a degree, but, but it helped me throughout my career. That's awesome. Okay. So professionally, with Capitol Police, you said you you worked with dogs and bomb disposal? What, what was it again? Go ahead. Uh, bomb technicians were the guys who disable uh, all types of improvised explosive devices, also dealing with um, chemical weapons, bioweapons, and uh, improvised nuclear weapons. I feel like I haven't heard about many of those challenges at the Capitol. Uh, we've had a few. We've right. had, uh, you know, we've had some bombings in the past. We've had some other incidents. We've had... Of course, the anthrax attack that occurred after 9-11, uh, 
Um, we've had the gamma of problems over the years, shootings. I guess the, we just don't hear about them. Well, well, I remember there was I remember there was that crazy person driving that truck or that car around the Capitol, and he ran through some barricades and was shooting, right? There was that one a couple of years back, or quite a few years quite back. Quite a few years back. Yeah. Uh, we've had a lot of instances, but we have concurrent jurisdiction in most of the downtown in D.C. for where our areas are. Uh, we have federal jurisdiction throughout the United States for the protection of members of Congress, their families, and crimes committed against them because they are a member of Congress. So it kind of runs the gamma. Um, one of the other things I did when I was a bomb technician, I also was an electronic countermeasures specialist, guy who, look, who looks and uh, sweeps offices for bugs, microphones, and listening devices, and things like that. Wow, that's really cool. What are some um, some highlights of your of your career, in, the, in, in at that part? I, when I was first joined the department, I was a patrol officer. I really liked community policing. I knew uh, up on Pennsylvania Avenue and New York, not New York Avenue, um, down South Capitol Street. I knew a lot of the merchants, and I liked walking walking the areas and the parks and talking to people and getting out. That was a, a very interesting part of my career early on. It gave me that experience of working with people and getting to know them and building them trust and relationships throughout the community. Uh, one of my things that I was kind of trademarked for I used to have business cards that I would give to everyone I encountered, as, even if I was doing a contact for someone or I was doing a traffic stop and even giving you a ticket, I still gave you a, you know, a card so that you could reach it back and talk to me or ask me questions. I think that transparency and taking the time to really get to put yourself out there as approachable is, is vital in this job. Okay. And then um, I, I can see that. I, I know... Um Whenever I've dealt with the police, whether I was making a report or got pulled over or whatever it could have been, the, I know a lot of police officers um, practice that as well. I never felt the need to reach out to anybody unless um, I had to follow up with a few things. But that's a, that's a really good practice. What are some other highlights, things that um, – skills or things that you draw on from those 32 years? Well, probably – one of the most traumatic times for me in, in my career was uh, during 9-11. I was at Quantico teaching a explosives course. And when they hit, we, we weren't allowed to have electronic devices, phones, and pagers and things out on the, I'm dating myself, out on the range in, um, in the facility. And so the Marines came out and got us and told us that, you know, that what had been, happened in New York and that they'd hit the Pentagon. They weren't sure if they'd hit the executive office building at that point. So driving back to Washington, I realized that the governor on the Suburban cuts off at 95 miles an hour. But we got back to town and watched the Pentagon burn. And it was a nonstop for several months. And I didn't come home. I basically worked every day, all day, slept a few hours a night. The bomb calls were nonstop. Everyone was terrified in the city. And that went on for months, well, probably about three or four months. And then we got hit with the weaponized anthrax in the heart building and we all had to be treated for that and can you without going to tons of detail and if you guys hear wind in the background this is part of my covid19 outdoor studio we have a little bit of breeze coming through i hope sure. that doesn't come through on the uh, recording but can you without going into tons of detail or whatever that you know you probably can't talk about remind listeners what happened with that anthrax well, what happened is there was a from somewhere in Fort Detrick, they stole, an individual stole several grams 
of weaponized anthrax, which can a gram of it can contaminate up to several thousand people, and it was milled down to a very small amount to to actually infect you and kill you. And it was completely throughout the entire Hart Building, the post offices, and other other congressional facilities, as well as the Brentwood Post Office, where several people died. Um, myself came in later that evening and was cleaning the gear that they used, and I took a huge load of the anthrax and came up positive. Um, after taking Cipro for six months, I went off to Cipro, and immediately the anthrax went active in my system and hospitalized me in Fairfax Hospital for about 10 days where they had more IV tubes than I could shake a stick at. Wow. I, I feel like, what year was that? 2001. Man, that's so long ago. But at the same time, I don't remember that amount of detail. I remember hearing the news um, and how the the building was shut down and everything was kind of quarantined and everybody was... I, I feel like once it passed the news cycle, you didn't hear about those sort of follow-ups. It took months to clean it up. One of my jobs was to work with Chris Wagner from the EPA as a liaison to them because we did all the cleaning at night. So, I mean, it was all tarp, so people weren't actually seeing what we were doing. So it took several months. There was a lot of things that had to be removed from the buildings that had to be cleaned with ethyl dioxide and chloride and dioxide. I don't know, going to all the boring sure. chemical stuff. But um, part of that was working with the people to set up the new screening process, which I can't talk about, mm -hmm. for all the mail and things that they set up on the Hill and other government agencies on, uh, throughout. Okay. Well, that, that's, that's, that's got to be incredible. Is there, uh, is there anything else you want to tell us about? Because uh, um, you're running for sheriff, and the, your, your experience on the Hill and 32 years of... Well, I, I'm trying to organize my thoughts here. What else would you want to tell us about um, that pertains to what well, brings well, you to as far today? As, being, as far as the, as the job of sheriff, I, one thing I was fortunate in my career is that I worked for a deputy chief who was in charge of protective services and for all the investigations and and uh, tactical and a bunch of other things within the department. And writing policy for him, procedures, directives, um, dealing with all kind of different agencies in the government, travel accommodations, budgeting, you know, um, contracting to different people for, for vehicles and hotels. And we, we ran a gamma of expenses that were that I was responsible for working with him. So I have a lot of background in the financial and management part of the money and being physical responsible and, with the And money. that's outside of Capitol Police? That was in the department. Okay. The, the budget of the department was $430 million last year. Uh, my, when I was running the canine unit before I retired, uh, the canine unit alone, we had 64 dogs. Wow. And that 100 and some vehicles that were under, under my command, and then by that, we were also, uh, you know, that's the vet bills. And everything. The canine budget alone was 14 to $15 million a year with salaries. Wow, okay. So I had to run payroll, travel, that. And there's, the government is, is very unique because you're not trying to make a profit. What you're trying to be is financially responsible and avoid wasting money. So you focus and prioritize things that need to be, happen. For example, in canine, the number one thing is to take care of those dogs, specialized food, vets, because those dogs are a huge resource that we spend a ton of money on. Mm -hmm. We have to have reliable people that, that, that have the skills. To, uh, handling a dog is not like people think. I think it's, 
easy. It's not. You know, you see a finished product when you see a canine dog. I still have mine at home. She's retired. She's 12 years old. But I like that part of the business was being involved with it. Okay. So moving forward, mm-hmm. you're, you're running for sheriff in Jefferson County. Um, to do that, you have to come to the decision that you want to run. Uh, let's talk about that. How did you come to the decision that you wanted to be the sheriff? Back when we were doing protective operations, like like I said, we traveled all over the country, all the conventions. I've done the march over Selma in Alabama several times with the Congressional Black Caucus. I loved the travel part, so we would come up here to the Bavarian Inn with with the Democratic senators or someone else. Let, hold on, let's let's back up for a second. So when you say protective services, describe what that means for me. I'm sorry, uh, protective services. We have a unit called Dignitary Protection Division. When they go to large congressional events, we take our bomb dogs, detection dogs. We take bomb squad. We take our tactical SWAT, which called your SWAT called a SWAT. We call mm-hmm. it our tactical teams, and we take the protection and we take some other uniform units to secure them for the Congress. It's primarily because if something happens, we have to get out of there. We need to make sure they're in a secure facility and they're safe the entire time. Wow, okay. So as part of my job as running the canine, and it was to go down, and part of the protection was to go and meet with all the local chiefs of police here. And and I already had a house here. We were already here. I was just, I hadn't been, we weren't living here full time. We were back and forth. And so I went and met with, uh, Pete Doherty's n- n- chief deputy, uh, Jesse Jones. I met with uh, Chief King over in Shepherdstown. I met with Chief Crutcher. And so I got to know these gentlemen. I really respect them. I, the Sheriff's Department was very, very gracious to me. And what a great group of talented people. Um, the skills that the Sheriff's Office has here, they have five of their deputies have master's degrees. I mean, they're very well educated. They're a very professional department here. I mean, it's it's a pleasure to work with these guys. And when I retired, you know, after doing some consulting work for the IRS and doing a couple other things, I, I really said I miss it. I miss the being with the, the guys. I miss problem solving. I miss the leadership, doing sure. providing the leadership and, and giving back to the community. Uh, this is why I want to do this. It's not, I look at this as an obligation to the county. And to the people of the county, I'm I'm not doing this for the profit. That's why, you know, on my Facebook, I wrote a letter to the attorney general, Tom. I'm going to give half my salary back, at least, and I'm going to give back all the money I get from the tax revenue. You don't seek office for personal gain. I mean, that, the, the the small amount I'll get from the other half of the salary, not small. It's probably twenty thousand dollars. We'll just cover my expenses, and other things. That's a that's a really good answer, John. It's a really good answer. Um, so that's why. You've decided to run, which is a phew, that's a moving answer. How about your campaign? You have to come up with a a platform, I guess is the word I'm looking for here. And the platform, you always pick, you know, one to five things that are really important to you, or the things that you want to help um, amplify, or fix, or supplement. What are some of those items that you want to bring to the county? Well, the one thing that I want to bring here, the price of some of this technology has really dropped. Um, I want to bring some technology here that we used to use. And one of the things that they don't have here is a system called LiveScan. And LiveScan is the ability to take someone's fingerprints and scan them 
And in a matter of minutes, you'll know who they are. If they've been arrested before in, let's say, New York or Washington, D.C. or some of the metro, big metropolitan cities. Well, the cost has come down quite a bit. And I've, I've emailed the person here in West Virginia who runs that out of Charleston to link in with the FBI. One of my gentlemen who used to work for me and work with me is now in, in McDowell County. Believe it or not, the poorest county in West Virginia, he has LifeScan, portable. And recently he had a homicide where the, they couldn't identify the body, but the hands were still good. They took the body and lapped, wrapped it in plastic with lime in it. And he was able to live scan those prints, go back to his office, hook up the system, send it, and boom, they knew who he was right away. Great system. Right. Also, you can take it to the hospital. You can use it. When your prisoners come in, you run those prints, and you'll know right then you want to send it to the FBI and wait six weeks. You'll be able to identify people and know exactly who it is. And the screen that comes up, the first screen is the forward view, side view, known associates, scars, tattoos, everything. Wow. And one other part of the technology I just want to talk about real quick. The body cameras and the car cameras that they have in their cars here really need to be replaced. The system, the, 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 what, what you really want to have is a system called WatchGuard or similar technology, which is, which is actually seamless. When the, the cameras on the bodies go 12 hours, right about there, in the cars, there's a beacon in the sh you put in the sheriff's department lot. As soon as you drive in, all the video is uploaded automatically. And no one can tamper with it, no one can alter it, and only the upper management has access to it, and the courts, and the attorneys. So there's no hanky-panky, nobody deletes any film. Total accountability, total transparency, and it really, when we first started looking at them at the office, it's a great idea. My daughter's a police officer in Charleston, South Carolina, that's what they use, and I, it just keeps everything very professional. It's totally accountable out there. If someone said he said, she said, no problem. We go right back to the video. So the first one was live track or live watch? Live scan. Live scan. Yeah. Okay. And then the... Um, the camera systems. Up upgrading. Watch guard, yes. Watch guard, upgrading the, uh, the camera systems. What other piece of the technology, whether it's in the budget or not, would you love to see come to the county? I'd like to see some kind of tag reading technology, whether it's permanently mounted and or vehicle mounted the the thing that makes it neat oh, with, license plates yeah it runs gotcha. your i'm sorry it runs your license plates the neat part about that technology is that if you have a vehicle of interest let's say we're tracking a drug dealer out of baltimore and there's the task force we're looking at someone that bought that vehicle leaves baltimore that tag can go into the system we can flag it and when it hits jefferson county line and comes into the county we know it's here and right when it came through and where it's going you get the tag if they're coming Route 9 or they're coming in uh, 340 or wherever they're coming in the county. Now, we don't know exactly where they're going from there, but we can track them that they actually came into the county and pick it up along the way. And are also those the ones stolen I see, vehicles. Are those the ones I see mounted to the back of police cars? Some or? of them are mounted to cars. You can also permanently mount them. Okay. So if you're looking for things like stolen vehicles and, and in a terrorist watch situation, you're looking for vehicles that are how many times have we seen that vehicle in that particular area? Then we look at that tag and we profile it to see if that's a person of interest. Okay. So it has a lot of other tech. It has a lot of uses other than just finding stolen cars. Yeah, that's pretty high speed. Uh, when I think of cameras or I think of that sort of thing, I start thinking about um, traffic cameras. I have a street. We, we both live on Samuel Street. And, <laughs> yes. And uh, your section has a little more stop signs than my section does. And we get some real speeders up and down this highway and I out this road. And I would just love to have... 
either speed bumps or stop signs or literally a way just to pop people and condition them down to not you know right here where we're also by the police station the charlestown police station and people very rarely speed past there because there's almost always a cop sitting there who's going to pop you but samuel's a, a really great cut across town and you know people get into their lives and either they're jamming to music or they're whatever they're doing that makes them speed luckily there's not a ton of kids playing in the street here but it's mildly dangerous what about um is that the sheriff's department that would install or do some sort of like uh, camera speeding or unfortunately because the legislature in west virginia it's not legal to install traffic cameras here oh okay if we could i'm a big advocate of it we used to have them in the city and believe it, my own guys would get caught <laughs> and i would come to roll call and pass out tickets and say guess what oh man i'm sorry but you know the police are not exempt sure we're not above the law. Just like when you see someone going down the street and they're typing on the CAD system in the car. There are times that are emergencies, but generally I tell people you have to set the example. Uh, you're on the phone. If it's that big of an emergency, you're running code one to, to an event. Or if it's something that's just routine business, pull the car over. I can't tell you any complaints I got with citizens taking pictures of uh. my guys on the phone or typing on the computer going down the road. Sure. And I, wouldn't I give you a ticket for that? You would. So why should I be different than you? That's good. Okay, so West Virginia flat out just can't even have... Well, unless they, unless they change the law. That's weird that they... Why would they say no to that? I now, mean, the I, speed bumps could be done. Oh, well, sure. That's a city matter, and that has to go through, you know, mayor, trainer, and... Sure. The problem, I'm sure it takes an act of, act of God almost to get them put in, but... Well, I want to see, see whatever they did over on Mildred, because they got like three more stop signs over there, and... <laughs> I know they went through a process with city council to get all that stuff done and they're kind of testing it out. And I think that's a really great step. It. Absolutely. Yeah. We just want safe roads. I mean, you can cut across town on George and you can cut across town on Washington and everybody's using those roads. So you really can't speed anyways. So just, you know, keeping it safe. Sure. I'll get off my speeding soapbox because okay. you know, what's inevitably going to happen. We'll, and, we'll, and we'll get think... a camera and I'm going to get popped on speed and that's probably what's going to happen. And I'll, and I'll, <laughs> and I'll mail, we'll mail you the ticket from the treasurer's office. Right. Um, all right. So um, that's technology. What's another uh, part of your platform that you want to see happen in Jefferson County? I really want to work on the community policing aspect too. I, I, I put posted the faith watch on my um, Facebook where we talk about in my webpage about how the sheriff's office is involved with the churches and supporting them with information, training, bulletins, uh, a quarterly meeting with the, the churches that want to join into it. And it's a great network to share information and build trust. Uh, those kind of things are vital in, in all these organizations in the county that we need to get some of these leaders together and start building the trust back. Um, recently, I was at the... Uh, I'm sorry, you called that community what? Community policing. And what you mean by community policing, and I, I know every time on this podcast, I always ask some of the dumbest questions, no, no, but no, I, no. I, I, I actually it. don't totally understand what that means. And in my mind, does that mean neighbors looking out for neighbors or... Well, community policing really is, is, is the police reaching the neighborhoods and reaching organizations within the community, whether it's the churches. I'll give you a great example. We were at um, the, the forum for the Tea Party over at Clarendon. And one of the gentlemen approached me after the meeting, and he said, there's an old substation that's up on uh, Shannondale, which Shannondale is one of the things when I was out getting signatures, 
they told me they weren't getting enough police response up there. So one of the gentlemen approached me, and um, Paul, I won't go to say his last name, but he approached me and he said, why don't we modernize that substation, put some better computers in there for the deputies to work, and let a deputy or two live up there. That used to happen. It stopped about six years ago. Then they would be there in the evenings a couple days a week as part of their free rent. They would be there a couple days a week to interact with the citizens, and they could come in and talk to them and get, ask questions and build a rapport with them in a relationship. Right. So, so that's the kind of thing that we want to do. We want to be out there. And we want to be approachable to people. Okay, so just a little back up. Shannondale is a, uh, a neighborhood that is a series of roads and cul-de-sacs and oh, dirt roads and paved crazy. roads. It's, it's a real maze of, uh, of mountain living. Absolutely. It's really beautiful. And um, it's almost, you get a little feeling, it's a little bit like the Wild West because there's, you can have big, beautiful houses right next to some dilapidated houses and vacant houses and then good people and some trouble up there. So the, uh, that's really, that's really interesting. So, Community policing, tell me how a church would would uh, help with that. A lot of times, there are people that come into crisis, and this goes into kind of the, one of the final things I really want to look at. They go into crisis, and there's not, let's say, for example, a family's in an accident on 340. The police show up, and they'll do the notification and, and, and other events that are involved with the paperwork. But at the end of the day, they would be able to reach back to a person of their faith or a pastor, someone in the community that can deal with them on that front. But also the churches are a lot of eyes out there in the community. They see a lot of things. They notice things. And people are more likely to approach you if they know you and that you have that relationship with them. One of the things that we used to do was um, give self-defense classes at some of the churches that were in in, in the city. And even though I lived in Fairfax County, they did that. They actually did site surveys for the church. They came out and they looked at the church and said, well, you know, this is a problem area. It needs more lighting or cameras or alarms or whatever their, their problems were. They're having any problems with the church with vandalism, breaking in. So they built a relationship. And we hate to talk about it these days, but even active shooter. They talked to him about how they should react if they have an active shooter in the church. Right. And what, what measures I should take. There's a lot involved in that for sure. Yep. What was the uh, final thing you want to talk about? The final thing I want to talk about is the, is, is the heroin epidemic that's going on in this county and in the region. And we need to really look at the... And in D.C., there was a lot of drug activities with people like the E Street Gang, Jamaican Posse, and MS-13, which they pretty much run out of the city. Enforcement at a street level is, for the end user, is really not, is not effective in the long term. It's not going to solve your problem. You'll never solve the problem completely, but you sure can put a dent in it. If, if people will coordinate information and share and get into a program where they're reaching back to where the, we know the drugs here are coming from Baltimore, and we know they're coming from New Jersey. We know they do exchanges on the sides of the roads in different places, like uh, rest stops and different things. There's a lot of information out there, and there's a lot of eyes out there that once you set this up can start looking. You have to trace it back to, to the people that are bringing it into the county and be able to apprehend these people. And there's a whole lot of matrices and other technology I really can't discuss here, but by combining with the feds and the state, we can definitely move in the right direction, crossing state lines in a region to try and fight this problem from the enforcement. But also with the enforcement comes the treatment. You know, we need to look at the treatment aspect. There's a shot that people can get now 
Um, I don't know if you viewers are aware of it. It's once a month. It's $1,500 a shot. And it completely uh, disseminates any of the heroin effects and alcohol. Okay. But once again, where's the insurance money to pay for this? Right. Uh, it can help get some people treatment. And the last part of that is the education. And education a lot of times has been a failure here. People really don't. The, the program needs to be more dynamic in the education and create after-school and positive programs that build young people's confidence. Because if you don't get to the young people now, they become the drug users and the problems down the future. And I think people lost sight of that. They're trying to deal with just what's today. They're not looking behind, back to see what's coming along. What would be an example of uh, educating young people? I think probably one of the best ways to educate the young people is to, to bring them to reality of what and how drugs really affect you in society and how people get involved with it. A lot of times people get involved with drugs, and it's not an economical thing. One of my dear friends, um, I, I won't say his name, but he was a Fairfax County officer. His daughter became a heroin addict, and he doesn't even know where she is today. So, wow. And they're a great family. So it's not – people think this is a poor, a poor uh, economic drug. It's not. And the treatment, I mean, the young people really need to be made aware of how this goes on. But part of that education is to educate them into how to build the confidence and give them things to do. If In D.C., one of the things that really upset me was when they started to cut back on the after-school programs. Because if you don't have a mentor or someone to guide you and positive things like coaches or bosses for after-school jobs and encourage people to do the right things and build their self-confidence, they're going to fall into the wrong groups. Gotcha. What about um? Are there programs that you know of? And again, this is <laughs> this is assuming you're already sheriff, I guess. But like, are there programs out there that educate parents even to to know the signs? There's. I would have to check. Honestly, I don't know what they have okay. here in this county as far as what how they educate the parents on that or what the schools are doing. I know the right people to reach out to ask that question. Well, yeah, I just I. Just in regular conversation, I'm just trying to figure out, like, I mean, I don't have kids, so I'm not looking for any signs. But well, I, My children, I always said, look at who they're hanging out with. Yeah. If they're hanging out with the wrong crowd, they're going to be involved with the wrong things. It's a very good way of looking at it. Uh, earlier, you mentioned um, CIT. Okay. Uh, CIT was a program that started several years ago in the mental health industry. And what it's designed to do, not only for law enforcement, but for firefighters and for school teachers and for others to try and recognize people. It's kind of like a mental health first aid. Okay. So if someone is having in crisis, it gives you the ability to determine, well, maybe they're bipolar or maybe they're having a nervous breakdown or maybe there's something more than they're just upset. Gotcha. And a lot of times it combines with alcohol and it combines with drugs. So you have multi-tiered event. But the, the objective, the real objective with CIT is to take the time to figure out what's going on. And they train you how to look for behavior patterns, how to look at things that are going, not to make you a medical professional. What's it stand for? A crisis intervention team. Okay. Or crisis intervention training. It goes kind of hand in hand, but it, it really is a valuable tool. Because there are a lot of people, um, I had a woman who was, attempted suicide in a park one time, and... She had slit her wrist, and she left a note saying, my medication doesn't work anymore. And we took her, transported her to the hospital. She had her medication with her. Her doctor thanked me for getting her there. And, and th it's taking that extra time to look at the totality and realize people need help. A lot of people don't need to go in the system. What they need is help. 
a lot of times putting someone in the system makes them worse than before we started. Because good Lord knows what's going to happen to them once you confine them and put them in with other people. This reminds me of a conversation I had with uh, Dr. Lynn O'Connell. She's out of Huntington. And she was describing to me a training system that was for the security guards at the, the main hospital in Huntington. And that they were trained to identify somebody who was not just causing a ruckus, but was also suffering, suffering crisis. or in yeah, some sort of drug crisis or not uh, possibly ODing. And they, instead of escorting a troublemaker out of the building and throwing them out in the street, they would find the right doctor or the right department to get them to. Um, that's kind of the same thing. Sure. Yeah. It's, it's, it, it comes in a couple of different formats. Sure. But the idea is to provide a, another tool for the box to deal with people. A lot of times, law enforcement is not about putting the, putting the handcuffs and putting people in jail. The, the idea is to help people, to get out there, recognize what they what's going on, and try and resolve it the best you can and move to the next thing. Okay. Crisis intervention team or training. Talk about Faith Watch. That's the churches. Um, so you're running as, a, as an independent. Yes, sir. And to run for sheriff, you have to claim a party affiliation? Either a, a party or, an, uh, or I'm running as an independent, absolutely. Okay. So you had to get signatures? What's that we, about? We had to get a percentage of signatures of people that actually voted last time. Who sets that? Pers the uh, county sets it. Um, it. I think it's 1% or 2% of the people that, um, that voted. So you have to go out and get signatures. And when you get someone's signature, you can't just get a signature. You've got to talk to them, find out what they're about, mm -hmm. what their thoughts are. The reason I'm an independent, I worked for the Congress for 32 years. I had friends on both sides of the aisle, Republican and Democrat, so I never chose a party. And when I went out and got these signatures, I had a, I had a great time. I met wonderful people. Um, a lot of times I would go to downtown and walk, talk the streets. I'd go to businesses and meet the business owners. Um, I did them all myself. I mean, I a couple had their neighbors or cousins or whatever sign them, but pretty much it was all just me out there interacting with people. And I kept, I got about 15 pages of notes from talking to people because not everybody would sign, of course, but they'd like to have their say. Right. And, and I, when you go out there and you're, it's just like police work. If someone tells you there's a problem and you see it from 30 people going back to Shenandoah up on the mountain, they feel they're not getting the response because they're on the other side of the river. And, and you don't hear that from one person. You hear it from 40 people. Right. So there's an issue there, and there's a perception there. And how do you fix that perception? Well, I've got a few ideas how to do that, too. But we, we need to get out there and, and really focus on what the community is looking for. And that's what I enjoyed about being an independent. I don't, I don't want to answer to a party. I don't want a party give. No party's giving me money to run for office. Mm-hmm. And what I'm getting is friends and, some, and people donating a little money here and there, and the rest is coming off out of my pocket. And, and, I, t and I take this seriously. I don't want to owe anybody. I want to be a candidate and a sheriff for the people. I want the door to be open. If you want to talk to me, you give me a call, and we set up a meeting. I don't care who you are. It's all about the people. That's great, John. That's great. So I wonder if, if everybody that I would poll could tell me what the sheriff's job actually is. Like, and, you know, you can always think, what's the guy on the horse with the badge, you know? <laughs> or it's, uh, you know, does the sheriff run down people speeding? What, what is the true nature of the position of sheriff? 
the sheriff has several responsibilities in this county. He's the oversight. Consider the sheriff the CEO of the law enforcement deputies, the tax deputies, or the tax collection office of Miss Hendricks' crew, um, animal control, and the bailiffs. And he's also in charge of you know the court security. But he's the oversight. And there are a lot of good people here in the county. He's the advocate. When there's something that goes on, he's the guy. He's, he has to reach out and, and try and make things work for whatever department or whatever they need. That's he, to go to the county commissioners to get more money for the deputies, which they need. Mm-hmm. Um, his role is, is it's, it is administrative, but you can't sit in an office. If you want, for my like for myself, I'm the most the only really current law enforcement person running. I have to go. I plan on once the budget's done in January, I want to go to the three-week class just to learn the criminal codes here. And in the, in the, in the, I know the federal law and the you know the constitutional law, but I don't know in the court laws. But I don't know the actual codes. And I, I would like to be certified, not to go out and run the streets with the deputies. But once in a while, you need to get out of that office and go out a couple nights and see what's going on. Um, same thing at the courthouse. You need to go by the courthouse. You need the guy needs help going through the metal detector because it's crowded. You help him. Uh, I'd like to improve that court security. That's a whole other whole topic in itself. Um, but you need to lead from the front. You need to go over. I mean, I had a ton of dog handlers working for me. I have no problem cleaning kennels. If you mentioned earlier over 100 employees. At one time, when I first got promoted, I was running a, a uniform division office. I had over, there was over 100 employees, and I'm handling their workman's comp claims. I'm handling their payroll certifications. I'm handling all their injuries. Um, you know, anything that went on equipment, training. That was my job as the administrative officer there to do all that. Wow. Ba- based on my understanding of the sheriff's position and looking at your background, I feel like you've you've been in a bunch of credible situations that gave you the experience that I could see why. And then I I, I served in the Army like a million years ago. And for about five years after getting out, I always missed that running with the guys. I always missed that, <laughs> the the energy and activity of being in a squad or in a platoon. And I, I can see why you would want to, you'd want to jump back into it. But you, mean, never, you never ask anyone to do a job you won't do yourself. Right. And you have to have the capability to be able to do that job. And the idea is to groom someone to take my job. Very good point. Very you know, good point. Whoever, whoever, you know, I don't know who the the uh, the chief deputy will be, but the idea will be to, to groom him and support him openly to run to take the office when I leave. Gotcha. I have one more question, and we didn't really discuss this uh, in our pre-meeting. What would be a few traits that make a good sheriff in any community like Jefferson County? The sheriff has to be someone who's not only approachable, but understanding, shows empathy for people. He has to have accountability. He has to have integrity. He has to be, his ethics and moral compass have to be in the right direction. He has to be transparent. You have to be someone who doesn't hide or hide behind things and takes things straight on. A lot of people think that a problem, if you ignore it long enough, it goes away. Well, that's not the, my solution. My solution is to find out what's going on and fix it and, and get things going straight. But you need to be someone 
that's out there in the community. You can't sit in that office. You need a couple hours a day, or you need to get out there. When I was when I was running the canine unit, I never had to. I could sit in my office all day long if I wanted to. I went out every day, and with my canine dog, just to work the busiest checkpoints for the deliveries in the morning, just to help the guys. And the part of that is, is that you're now building a rapport, but you see what's going on out there. And in order for the, for the sheriff to get out there and see what's going on, he's got to be someone who does that. You've got to lead from the front and get out there. And you've got to be, be there for the people. It's a huge part of this job. You're the figurehead. Yeah. And, you know, as far as, as your, your ethics and your standards, what I do reflects on all my, the people that work for me. And what they do reflects on me. And you expect everyone to have that, that thought process about how they're going to do this job. And then their, their personal lives matter when they're not there. Great answer. Another great answer, John. Were there any uh, anything you think we missed? We could talk for a long time. We really want to get into my technical background. Uh, you know, I'm still working for the FBI uh, part-time, you know, on case-to-case -case basis, working on programs at Quantico. And I really love the community here. I'm, I'm doing this not as a, as a career. I'm not a career politician. I'm doing this to give back to, to Jefferson County and to the community bring some of my leadership and my experience to take the great qualified people that are here and just be their advocate to push forward whatever they need. That's what I want to do. That's great, John. Well, if we've hit everything, that was a really great podcast. I know more about the position of sheriff. I know what it means to you. Your background is extensive. Um, I love some of the things like Faith Watch and um, what was it, community policing? Is that the word? Community policing and Com CIT teams. Yeah, yeah that was... That's really great. I'd love to see more of that also. And then the technology piece, that I can see where I imagine budgets get in the way or people in charge may not want certain things or they prioritize different things. Um, it's really hard to talk about the topics of um, drug or drug trafficking and, and understand that in a short podcast like this. And I, I think down the road, you know, if you win, I'd love to have you back so I can understand more of what the sheriff's department and how they work with other agencies can get in front of that. You, know? you can. It just You have to build the relationships. You've got to go to Baltimore. You've got to go to New Jersey. You've got to talk to these people and share information. It's, 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 it's not really complicated. It's, it's the communication network. You've got to be able to trust each other and provide information back and forth to make this work. You know, this is, this is a little bit on the side, but I, I actually interviewed for a position coming out of college like a million years ago. But it was with, with an outfit called McLaughlin. You ever heard of McLaughlin? Yes. It's mid-Atlantic, Great Lakes, organized crime enforcement network. What? That's what McLaughlin stood for. Mm -hmm. That was supposed to be a network where so many of the police departments and law enforcement agencies communicate with each other on kind of what you're talking about. Does that still exist? Or yeah, are there's, there... there's several different uh, systems. Like that? There's yeah. iLeads. I think iLeads is going away. It's Cobalt. It's not the Cobalt you and I think of from college. From right. It's the computer days. But it's um, there's several networks. I mean, they have the NCIC, which is the basic program for the uh you know for criminal stuff for warrants and and stolen guns and those kind of things but there's several databases out there that actually reach across 
um, not to level Cipernet like for the military, but uh, do the things that, that need to be done. I think that it, the structures, the architecture's out there. It's just I, a matter I, of getting into it. Am I wrong to assume that our sheriff's department is linked into things like that? I mean, I, I assume they just all would be. There's some of the networking, but a lot of times with some of these programs, you have to know where to go to get it. Mm-hmm. And you have to reach back to people like Homeland and, and the FBI. And some of these programs, it, it's, it's a little fishy to get into them sometimes. They just people don't. Uh, it's a lot of work. And you're going to need a lot of people to, you know, help push this thing forward. But it, it, it won't be hard. Gotcha. And All right, cool. Well, John. Well, John King is running for sheriff. Uh, voting day is November 4th. 4th. Uh, he's running against five other guys, and that will be whittled down after the primary. Um, anything else, John? I'm already on the ballot. I got my signatures. But, no, I, I really I want to thank you, Kevin, for having me over, and I wish I could have give you more time probably but we'll 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 talk again yeah sure and, and uh, november's a long ways away if you think of things that you forgot write them down and then we'll link up in a couple months and we'll do another podcast and, and if before. your viewers have more questions I, I mean your listeners i would like to come back and address some other issues that they have you know this is a, this is a hobby for me and i've been pumping out a lot of content relatively quickly it's only been it's only been available to the public for i think six weeks seven weeks and we have you'll be the 34th podcast which is quite a bit of content but i just meet and know great people who have a lot to share and i have not figured out how to do video yet you know (laughs) i mean i also have to run my own business and go to work sometimes but and then i got to develop this incredible open air covid19 studio where we're, we're literally at a table at six and a half feet apart from each other so we're not actually together and uh we're out in the open enjoying the fresh air but I've tried to, I want to try to figure out how to get questions ahead of time for somebody from the public. Um, But at the same time, you saw how fast we turned this around. We've only been talking about a week, and I was like, let's do it, let's do it, let's, you know, and then the the whole lockdown thing started up, the quarantining. And so it's, it happens really fast, and then it doesn't have a massive listenership yet where people would really even, have the questions and i like to talk about topics that people maybe won't even know what questions to ask you know so it's it's, a, it's, it's different yeah it's just a, it's a learning process for me and this is just a hobby and, and what's great john is i didn't even know we were neighbors and, and now i do and i'm exci- i'm excited to see you run for sheriff your wife met my wife over at the vet in, in leesburg i know i heard about that yeah yeah definitely that's when she said you got to bring kevin's sign back that she took i love man sometimes <laughs> i just get grumpy and uh, we we're not even gonna talk we're not even talk about it. everyone so, has a bad day yeah, exactly john thanks a lot thank you kevin have you heard of the try this west virginia conference if you're somebody who is working to build a healthier west virginia then you should join the over 500 like-minded people this year at the seventh annual conference uh, it's in Buckhannon, West Virginia. This year it's on June 12th and June 13th. Go there to learn about grassroots efforts that are taking place from all around the state, from community gardens to yoga in schools, running and biking programs, and even maybe building a community recreation center. Once you've networked around the conference, there's also opportunities to learn how to apply for grant funding for a project in your own community. Enjoy two days of healthy food, physical activity, and mindful living. 
Register before March 15th for early bird rates at trythiswv.com slash conference. Today's intro song is called Mean in a Good Way. It's written and performed by Peter Clark off of his album, Peter Clark After Dark. Peter, <laughs> Peter describes this song as being the best song to learn hula hooping to. Peter is an avid hooper and recently started a hula hoop repair business. If you ever need hula hoop repair, consider contacting Peter. You can reach him on SoundCloud. Just search Peter Clark After Dark.